This is The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Join me and listen in as I chat with authors writing on the less gritty side of crime. You won't find graphic sex or violence. You will find intriguing plots, engaging characters, and entertaining writing. Welcome, listeners. Welcome, listeners, to a bonus episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. Katrina McPherson, author of The Last Ditch Mysteries, joins me in the corner today to chat about Scott on the Rocks, the third in the series. Welcome, Katrina. Hi, Alexia. I love how you say it. It sounds, it sounds really cool when you say <laughs> Scott on the Rocks. Like, <laughs> I say it like that then. Okay. Am I'm I saying sorry, it wrong? I, I am so sorry about my American accent. Do you know Donna Andrews, who's a, a mutual friend of ours, I guess? You yes, yes, I know Donna. Donna. She was just asking, she asked this kind of, oh God, I don't know if I want to answer this question for something she's writing. Like, what is the most annoying thing that American people do when they meet a Scot? And I thought, well, okay, you asked, so I'm going to answer. And one of the things is they, they start to do my accent. And I'm, <laughs> I'm so ashamed. I'm sorry. No more. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not no gonna. More. I'm not gonna try a Scottish accent. Not, Thank not even, you. No, I promise I won't. <laughs> it'll be really bad. Can you do an Irish accent? I don't think so. No, I sound like a leprechaun. So no, I can't. <laughs> no, neither can I. <laughs> I can barely do an American accent, actually. Even though um, <laughs> it's what I, I I grew up near DC, where people just kind of sound weird. So. Oh, yeah, what's that? I know it's not DC, but Baltimore's not that far from DC. But you know how, did you ever watch The Wire? I've seen a couple of episodes, yes. You know, you know how the people on The Wire say the word all right? Neil and I, our husband and I, practiced that, tried for <laughs> years to be able to say the word all right with no consonants in it. I just can't do it. Like, all right? No, see, that has an R in it. No, there's no way. I can't, I, I don't know how, it's just, it's, it's very cool sounding anyway, but I'm not, I'm not going to do it, I'm not even going to, all right, I, no, because when I say it, it sounds like I'm saying oi, but anyway, oh, all right. sorry, this has gone, this okay. has been generally you, you're the boss, it's your podcast, Let's no, that's fine, <laughs> okay, I, I, all right, uh, okay, so Scott on the Rocks is the third last ditch mystery, so tell us what Lexi's up to this time. Right, she is. Oh ho ho ho! Well, here's the thing. I didn't even notice. This is this must be the most extreme cancerishness of extreme cancers. I didn't even notice that book one starts on a major holiday, July fourth, and book two starts at a Halloween party. And so when it came round to book three, I had a theme that I did. I didn't. I didn't mean to have a theme. But anyway, so it starts on Valentine's Day. And I thought, right, I'm going to run with it. I'm just, I'm just going to carry on with this. There's got to be, I mean, heaven knows what we'll get down to in the end if the series runs and runs. But so it starts on <laughs> Valentine's Day. And she doesn't have a date. She is single, um, Lexi. She's, you know, she's divorced, but she's been divorced. Well, she must have been divorced uh, nearly, a, well, from 4th of July the year before until Valentine's Day um, this year. 
and so she lives in a she lives at the Last Ditch Motel in a houseboat actually in the slough, the Last Ditch Slough, whence the motel gets its name. Um, and her friends who live in the motel are all coupled up. So two of them, two two lots of them have been coupled up all along. The owners of the motel and these two doctors who live in one of the motel rooms for reasons that I will go into if you want, but I don't have to. And there were two single people. And in chapter one of the new book, um, Della, who's a single mother who also permanently lives in the hotel, and uh, Devon, who's a college student who lives in room 101. He got kicked out of his student accommodation. He was being bullied. Uh, they hook up, um, not in a horrible way. I mean, they have a nice date uh, for Valentine's Day. How puritanical was that? They hook up, but not in a horrible way. <laughs> that, that's my Scottish Presbyterianism. So Lexi's the only one who's, still single so she decides that she's gonna as she puts it put her toe back in socket and and start dating which is just fantastic to write it was such fun to write bad dates really <laughs> bad dates um so I, I i've got i've got an inside track on bad dates from a couple of friends who've who've been on what's the one that's not not kind the not like tinder because that is hookups isn't it what am i trying to say uh, okay yeah, probably, probably something like that they've you know they've been on some shocking dates so that was good fun and there is a there is a crime as well there's a there's a statue i didn't realize how um topical this was going to be it's it's coming out well the ebook's coming out early it's coming out in august and it's about statues there's a there's a the town mother mama quento who's the town mother of Quento, the town where Lexi lives, is stolen, a kind of eight-foot bronze, is winched onto the back of a, a pickup truck and stolen in the night. And then one of her big bronze tools gets sent back with a ransom note. Um, so this is this is the mystery. Um, and then uh, it spreads from there. So there's quite a lot of some fictional statues and some real statues of the West in this book. Um, I had no idea that we'd be thinking so much about statues when it came out because it was last year when I wrote it. So that's what it's about. And I, and I was actually going to ask you about these statues. I mean, does it feel a little odd to have written about something that turned out to be so timely given the current discussion about removing statues? Very, very much so. I am not, I haven't written about any of the actual statues or even any of the category of statues that are. Um, being removed. Um, so I've written about this fictional Mama Quento and a, a fictional and some more fictional statues but also about Sacagawea, is that how you say her name? I've only ever read it. Sacagawea. Sacagawea, I heard someone pronounce it. Sacagawea, right. Um, I've written about uh, her statues, because I'm here in the West, and also Dignity, that enormous Lakota uh, young woman in in South Dakota that you that I saw when I was on a big road trip in 20. I mean, she's massive. Um, so I've written about her a bit, and the Phyllis Wheatley statue in Boston. You know, there's a women's uh, memorial in Boston that's Phyllis Wheatley, um, Lucy Jones, I think she is an abolitionist and a suffragist and Abigail Adams, and they're all there, just in a, a really sweetly, in a, in a circle, and they're life-size, they're bronzes, but it's a beautiful um, collection of statues. So 
so I've written a little bit about her, but there are no there are no generals on their battle horses <laughs> in the book. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Now, um, go going back to Valentine's Day, uh, part of the opening focuses on the difference between Valentine's Day in the U.S. and in Scotland. So how are, how are they, how is that day observed, I guess, differently? Less, I would say. Well, do you know, it's a funny thing because I would say it's observed less. So uh, you might get a Valentine's card. But the idea that there's, there should be a present and it should be in a Tiffany box and it should be diamonds and all that it's stuff, um, I would say is much more American than Britain. But then I've been away for 10 years now and it, some of the things I think are American are just new. They're happening back in the old country as well. It's just that I've left. Um, so things like little children graduating from kindergarten in a cap and gown that I thought was American, but it happens in Scotland as well now. I think it's spread there from America. So I would think it's just a bit, a bit less. And also it's freezing cold in February. Well, I mean, then, but no, that doesn't make any sense because in big bits of America it's freezing cold as well in February. But certainly the sort of, the extreme workload that's put on mothers to write Valentine's cards for the entire second grade class, you know, it's just, it does strike me as slightly... And I know sort of earlier on in the book, I've got, I've got Lexi remembering that one time her dad gave her mum a Valentine's card and her mum said, oh, for God's sake, Keith, and rips the front off to use it for a shopping list. That's a very Scottish reaction. <laughs> a Valentine's card. I've never had one. I have never had really? a Valentine's card in my puff. No. Wow. I know. Oh. <laughs> wow. I never have. I can, I can still remember getting those little um, uh, cards, from, speaking of second grade, you know, they, they sell them in class packs. So you just buy a box, and it's got enough cards for the, and they've got like cartoon characters and strange, and you get these little, little miniature envelopes from everybody in the class, and you were afraid you'd be left out. That was everybody's nightmare that somebody would forget yeah. to put your name on one of the little like superhero cards about be my Valentine. So it's not new here then, if no, that part's not. No, I actually remember yeah, that. You did that, yeah. Right. Yeah. That's very sweet. Um, I'm trying to think if I've ever done anything. Have we ever gone out on Valentine's? I remember one night going to the theatre, but it just happened that our season tickets, Neil and me, be in the 90s probably, our season ticket happened to fall on that night. And I think there was someone hawking roses outside. So I did have a rose. And then someone inside the theatre foyer looked at me as if I was the saddest sack. <laughs> sad sacks because I had this rose. Like, oh my God. Ugh. You know, we're not very demonstrative people. <laughs> well, as opposed to having a dozen or something? I mean, why would they? Oh, no, just the, that was, no, one rose was too much. Not, oh. not one rose was enough. One rose oh, was okay. the mockish sentimentality. Oh my God. You know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> so it's not such a it's not such a big deal. <laughs> well, speaking of of differences, um, sometimes you post on Facebook asking your U.S. friends and followers if they're familiar with the phrase that's common in the U.K. And Scott on the Rocks does use terms like car parks and tinned and numpty, which I think is one of my new favorite words. Uh, so what, what kind of feedback do you get from U.S. readers about terms in your books that they may not be familiar with or do they even oh, notice it? 
please start using numpty that would make me so happy I'm going to go so, find someone to call a numpty. A numpty. Uh, mm, yes, what a challenge, not. Um, I haven't had any massive, I haven't had any complaints. One of the things, no, I have had a couple of complaints. One of the things that does makes me feel a bit, shirt, bit shirty, I'm doing it now, a bit, you know, that makes me bristle a little bit, is when people talk about um, Scottish words or UK words as slang, like there's too much British slang. I thought, no, that's not British slang, that's just British English. It's not slang, it's just different, you know. Um, but I think people do tend to enjoy the, um, you know, having the different language. And certainly when I asked online once if, if American readers wanted a translation into American English for a British book, and a huge response and not a single yes in fact outrage at the thought that you would be getting something watered down or bolderized and you'd be sort of spoon-fed uh americanized british english so that seems to go down quite well as a just as a a kind of rule of thumb if it's scottish what i see is every adjective means drunk Every noun means idiot, and every verb means uh, assault, punch, you know, harm in some way. Just, just generally, that you can go by that. So most most Scottish nouns mean idiot. So punch a drunken idiot. It would be to uh, to chib a trolled numpty, for instance. <laughs> Which sounds better, actually. I, I like that better than punch a drunken idiot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So trolley meaning that you're so drunk that you're on a trolley in the hospital. The gurney. So oh, okay. <laughs> if you're trolleyed, that means you've had to go and have your stomach pumped. That's drunk. Yeah, it's such a dysfunctional drinking culture. I'm <laughs> never sorry to be away from it. Never. <laughs> uh, so, um... Go, uh, Switching track a little bit and going back to the stolen statue. Where did you get the idea for uh, having a stolen statue as one of the, the plots? That is a very, very good question. Where did I get the idea? Um, because huh. it happens right at the start of the book, so it must have been. Um, oh, I know what it is, and I can't really tell you because it's a huge spoiler but it's something that comes up much, much, much later on in the book. Um, there's a category of person who becomes part of the plot. And when I was looking for incidents uh, that could occur in relation to this category of person, stolen statues was one of the things that came to mind. So it, it didn't. The, it wasn't the beginning of the story. It was something that that came along as I was as I was plotting it, and I threaded it in. I think, yeah, I think that's right. I can't remember. So where the story where the story started, what I wanted it to be was that the new wife of Lexi's ex husband disappears, just as Lexi and Todd and Kathy. Are, are in a more formal way deciding that they're an investigation agency. Um, and, and so that's one of their first cases, is that Brandy uh, is gone and Branston, who's Lexi's first husband, comes to her to 
to ask for help to find his beloved because I thought that would be funny. I thought it would be funny if he came and he was he was crying and he was he was you know really upset and he said he said Lexi I I need you Brandy's gone and she thinks he means she's left and I want you back. <laughs> she almost and she's kind of tempted and she almost throws herself into his arms and then thinks wait 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 hang on hang on did did like Brandy's gone so you need me or you need me and you've told her that and so she's hooked it which way around are we talking about now because I don't want to just I don't want to fill a gap and thankfully he then explains that no she's she's disappeared and he wants the investigation agency to find her so that that's uh that kind of misunderstanding I can see how it could lead to some humorous situations and the last ditch series is definitely in the humorous mystery subgenre. So do you find it difficult combining humor and crime? Kind of. You've got to be careful about what crime it is. I mean, certainly, you know, someone someone stealing a statue, I always want to say kidnapping, but stealing a statue <laughs> and sending back one a bronze toe with a ransom note saying, you know give us the money, there are nine more where this came from. That's not um, too painful or, you know, it's not going to hurt anyone's heart that that's happened. So that, so that's okay. Um, I think I skated a bit um, on, on thinner ice the second time, the, uh, in the second book. I think the, the crime there, you had to have quite a kind of um, cold heart to laugh at that, but then lucky me there are a lot of cold-hearted people around everybody was all right with it and the first time yeah the first time the first book um i was fine with it when i wrote it but then i read i read a chapter a day on facebook live in this at the start of the lockdown you know back in the early 1400s and and when i was reading it aloud i found myself thinking this is awful this isn't funny i'm not i can't read this this is cruel and i did actually start to shade it a little bit and not say some of the things but this time I think it's all right Brandy is awful she's a hairdo she's a she's a you know a shallow puddle of what is it I called her a shallow puddle of ketogenic me time I mean she's just awful so she's gone who cares um and and the other one the other crime is a statue so it's all right and so you, you sort of touched on how tricky humor can be to write because tastes vary and you walk that fine line between funny and crass and jokes sometimes yeah. fall flat. So what's the toughest part of writing funny? Um, I feel quite lucky because the, the, so are these books are, are humorous. I mean, that still feels like a weird thing to say, but it's right there on the jacket. I mean, obviously Everything about them says, I am funny. So, and also the historical series that I write, the Dandy Gilbert series has got some lighthearted or funny bits in it. And in both cases, I'm on the line. I'm, oh, hell, my battery. I mean, oh, heck, my battery. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't have my, there we go. I didn't have my cable plugged in properly. Sorry, Alexia. Um, on so the line that I'm finding, so Lexi is a Scot in California. She's a fish out of water. So she is finding California life funny. 
and people in California are finding her funny. But I am a Scot who, who's lived in California for 10 years. So I feel as if I can find that line without, um, without offending anyone. Um, because sometimes things that Scottish people say about America, and I'm not going to give you an example for obvious reasons, to me now I think, oh no, don't say, don't say that, that's not, that's cruel, that's not, that's not, there's no warmth in that humour. And I don't think my, I'm not Ricky Gervais, I don't think, I don't think wincing's the new laughing. And the same with Dandy Gilbert, because she's English, she's from Northamptonshire, in the Midlands of England, but she lives in Scotland, so she thinks Scottish people are funny, especially her husband, and so she mocks him. But because I'm mocking my own folk, that's okay because I can I can find the line, and it's not, you know, I'm never. You know, you can laugh at yourself. You can say anything about you. You can say anything about yourself, and the people around you. So I think I, I think I'm okay. I think I'm okay. Um, the the biggest the the kind of most um, annoyed, angry, you know, really really aggrieved email I've had was from someone who only read three pages of of the second book, and he stopped reading it because I had someone go to this Halloween party that starts the book uh, dressed up as President Trump, and that was his Halloween costume, and this man was really really annoyed and 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 closed the book and and told me that I wasn't welcome in I think it was Ohio that me and the likes of me and my books and the books I write were not welcome in Ohio and I thought well that's news to all my readers in Ohio but I was kind of glad he hadn't kept reading because I don't think he would have liked the rest of it if he didn't like if he was horrified by that my guess would be that my little band of um um LGBTQ plus people of colour and, you know, uh, recent immigrants without documents solving crime might not have been his cup of tea. So, and I, I did answer his email and just said, well, we can't, you know, I'm glad you found out quickly you didn't like it and I hope you're reading something that's that you're enjoying now. All the best. That's it. So that is the, that is the most... <laughs> opprobrium I've ever had and it was just because someone dressed up as President Trump to fancy dress Yeah, that's true. If he was that sensitive then he probably wouldn't have liked the rest of the book. So. Well, okay, I don't know if you can edit this out, but I did say that it was Nolene, who's the owner of the motel, who did it and what she did was she opened her face, she opened her mouth really wide and opened her, put her eyebrows up and painted her face with a mixture of gravy browning and glue. And then when she relaxed her face, it looked perfect, which is kind of disrespectful, I suppose. Yes, that is disrespectful to say that, that that's what someone looks like. But, you know, it's also true. So there you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> now, uh, the the humor in the Dandy Gilver series is, is different from the humor in the Last Ditch series. And you also write... Uh, suspense novels that aren't funny, they're suspenseful. So do you find it difficult shifting between those sort of three different outlooks? Um, the Dandy Gilbert to Lexi is okay because as soon as I'm back in the 1930s and I've written 15 of those now, so I can pop myself back into them. I mean, I, I, I would imagine it's the same for you. Once you're, once you're in Ireland, your mindset clicks over to 
I'm in Ireland now. Is that is that how it works for you with the Gethsemane Brown series? Yes, it is. I, I have to actually, yeah, be there. But then it's hard to watch or read something that's not set there because it kind of gets me out of that mindset of being oh. in Ireland. Huh. I never thought of that. That you're. I wonder if I do consume, like read and watch more um, British stuff when I'm writing Dandy Gilbert. I will have to pay attention to that. I haven't looked at that yet. But the the suspense novels, what I do is I just write and my agent takes out. She says, you've too much, what she calls it, dinner ladies. And there's a sitcom. I don't know if you know this Victoria Wood sitcom. She only ever made two short, you know, like uh, no money BBC sticks at episodes in a series. There's, it's just sad. You know, an American series is 22 episodes. Fantastic. <laughs> And a British, a BBC series is six episodes. Oh. Um, she only made two series of it. It was very, very funny. It's an ensemble piece. And my agent reckons that whenever I've got all my characters together, it turns into an episode of Dinner Ladies, no matter what. And she'll say, you have to, you have to tone this down. They're, they're frightened at this point. You know, they're, or we're trying to ratchet up the suspense at this point. So they can't be having this sort of Seinfeldian or, you know, she would say dinner ladies moments. Um, so I just write it and then I let someone else say, you've gone too far, you need to take this out. It's quite hard taking out stuff that's funny, but I agree. I do agree. At least you've got an agent with good editing skills. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. The last um, standalone suspense, I had done six or seven drafts before I gave it to her. And when it finally went to the publisher, it was draft 11 wow. that finally went to the publisher. This was my 29th book. It kicked my butt. But it, but it worked. Eventually, yeah, it did. But I, I was at a Sisters in Crime meeting down in the, in the before times, down in um, Berkeley or Oakland or down there somewhere in the Bay. And um, there were a lot, it was wonderful. There were a lot of beginning writers and brand new members there. And we were doing a sort of round the room, how's it going? And I was saying that, that it was working on book 29 and that I was on the 10th draft and I was still stuck. And I thought maybe I'd passed the point where it was salvageable and maybe I was just making it worse now. And then <laughs> I thought, maybe I shouldn't have said that. to this room full of new writers who, who still believe bless them that you write your first book and it's hard and your second book's easier and then the third book's easier and then you know what you're doing because you don't at all in fact i was there with laura jensen walker uh who happens to live in sacramento who who's just about to have her first first mystery um published although she has written other fiction in the past and she she touched on the fact that i'd said that as we drove home <laughs> the poor thing oh <sighs> That's encouraging, though. I mean, when you, it's, it's, at least for me, it's nice to know that someone who's written 29 books still has to work at it. So I, I, that yeah. actually makes me feel better. I'm like, why am I still? It's like, oh, okay, well, if she's on book 29 and she's still, you know, up to multiple drafts. I feel better now. Yeah, yeah, I did have to work on that um, a lot. And also, I think, well, I'm still trying. I'm still trying to improve. I was trying to do something structurally a bit more ambitious. Not ambitious you know if you're Bernadine Evaristo or or it wasn't cloud atlas but for me it was it was ambitious so um 
it was like uh, I've got this one of a, a child who's grown up now but when he was a child in my family um who was just about to he was carrying a plate of spaghetti and a glass of milk and he was just about to spill his milk and we said turn your milk glass the right way up and so he turned his milk he turned moved both hands and all the spaghetti ended up on the floor that's how I felt I was trying so hard to do one thing right that my spaghetti hit the floor but hopefully it's all right now when it when it finally went to the publisher the publisher said this doesn't need any structural edit we're going straight to copy edit there you go yeah they now think that they now think I'm a natural writer oh god anything but anyway well Scott on the Rocks will be out, uh, speaking of published, uh, it's in hardback in November in the UK, February in the US, but the ebook is out this month everywhere. Yes, it is. It's astonishingly expensive at the moment, but I'm reliably informed that that, that changes on the day of publication. Um, that's when it starts to hit all the daily deals and monthly deals and ah, you know, yes. all the things like that. Yes. Um, because at the moment, huh, I'm such a great publicist for my own <laughs> Like, pre-order, yeah, please pre-order at this eye-watering price. I, I quite possibly shouldn't be seeing any of this. <laughs> well, it's a way to keep an eye out for the Daily Deal. Yes, yes, that would be a good idea. Yes. And the first two, the two books, if, if people haven't read the first two, they are going to be, I think, one ninety-nine each uh, for the two weeks before the third one comes out. So that's good. Oh yes, absolutely. Ebook only, just just ebooks. Yeah. Okay. So now, was this early release of the ebook a response to the pandemic-induced changes in the publishing world? Yeah, very much so. First, the the book was supposed to be coming out earlier than it is, and it got pushed back, which I think is a good thing because I think, you know, if the publishers are trying to get the moment right, then that's a good thing for you. They're looking after you. Um, but after it was pushed back. Um, the ebook the e got pulled forward. So it's a very odd thing. I've never done this before. I've never had a book come out without a physical book before. And I, I'm not, a, I don't read ebooks. So I'm not used to thinking that a book is in this. I don't have a, an e reader. But I know you can, you can, you can buy an ebook and you can read it on anything, can't you? On any kind of device. Yes, because there's an app for that. There are actually several apps yeah. for that. Yeah. I've, I've got, I usually use my phone, actually. Um, so, right. And the apps are free, so everyone listening can download the yeah. app for free and then they'll have money to buy the book. Cool. And I, yeah. And so I, I will download it. I mean, I will. <laughs> it would be so strange to not have a copy of my own published book, so I will. I will download my first ever um, ebook. Oh no, second. I downloaded one of uh, Jess Lowry's one time, even though I had read the Ark. Second time. I should get copy. I get electronic copies of my own books because it makes it easier to search and find for things that I said, like in book two, so I don't do something stupid in book whatever. You know, change somebody's hair color or something. You're a genius. <laughs> Compared to me, anyway, you are a genius. I have never thought of that. I get up, I walk around my desk, I get a paperback, and I feverishly look through the book. Well, actually, I'll look on the word. I look on the word file first. But if it's something that that happened, you know, late on in the process, it might not be there. Ha! Huh, what a good idea, right? Maybe I need to buy some ebooks. 
Definitely, I do. But you, it's okay to get them on the daily deal. I mean, I buy mine on sale. <laughs> yes, I buy my oh, own yeah. books on sale. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, my book buy-in during this lockdown, my book buy-in has um, mostly from going to Noir at the Bar that's for a good cause. You know, you want to support uh, re- relief for Puerto Rico or uh, the Lambda um, literary society or, or something you know there's always there's always the reason that it's not really shopping it's philanthropy right yeah, but absolutely. then yeah when the FedEx guy keeps trundling up the road um, towards us eh, I don't think books count as shopping well, just talk about all the people you're helping by buying that book exactly yeah exactly and reading them are you so some people are reading you know how everybody's having a different response to this but I know you're not locked down are you you're being a key worker, are you? Um, I, I'm not, but I my job I can actually do from home, so I can't actually remember the last time I've physically been in the office. Right, because we're um, I'm. I mean, some people say I can read, but I can't write. Some people say I can write, but I can't read. Some people say I, all I can do is consume Netflix. Um, I'm having. I had a lot of trouble writing at first. I don't know if that was the, the lockdown or if that was because the last time I tried to write, it took 11 drafts. Um, but I've been reading, I mean, I read quite a lot anyway, but this, this year I've been reading really, really voraciously, which feels fantastic. Um, and now it's really hot here, so you can only do things in the morning and, and in the afternoon, especially at the weekend on a holiday like this, um, just read. And Netflix, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I confess I've been watching a lot of Netflix too, so. Yeah. We've been watching a lot of these wonderful documentaries that are streaming through Magnolia Pictures, the picture distribution. Our local independent cinema is uh, streaming videos where if you buy it, then they get, I think, 25% of the, the price. So it's supporting the cinema oh. while it's shut. Feels like a good idea. So what we've got for tonight is the John Lewis um, biopic. Wow. Which, I think it's just called, oh, it's called Good Trouble. Um, I bought it and said to Neil, do you want to watch a documentary about John Lewis? And he was like, eh, but John Lewis is the name of a, a swanky department store in the UK. And oh. It's not, it's not about the shop. It's not about how to arrange the lighting department in John Lewis. It's about congressman John Lewis. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> you watch a documentary about a department store. Well, I shouldn't laugh because there was a there was a PBS series about a department store that was popular. I mean, it was about a, people that in what was um was it Sturbridge? One of the really old ones, Sturbridge's or oh um yeah um Selfridges. Yes, Selfridges. No, yeah, yeah, was it? yeah. I would watch that. Possibly not together. But that's that's our nightly ritual now. Is we'll watch something. Um, you know, some thought-provoking documentary and then one episode of Queer Eye just as a palate cleanser and then toddle off. So have you, ever, have you ever binged something so hard that someone in that um, television programme starts to narrate your thoughts? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Can yeah, you imagine Imagine if it was Jonathan Van Ness. Just <laughs> <laughs> a bit. The other day, I could hear his voice in my head when I wasn't actually looking at him on the screen and thought, no, this is... No. 
it's fairy life of a ring. Uh, was it you? Uh, was it you that it was you that shared the um, an op-ed about Queer Eye being the most uplifting television, the most positive life-affirming television around? Was that you? I don't think it was me. I thought it was you. Okay, I so I mean, it is a very uplifting show. Um, I I haven't watched this season because when I watch it, I do actually end up watching the entire season in one sitting which like, wipes out yeah. my like whole afternoon because I can't turn it off because <laughs> it's oh, yeah so I haven't watched it yet because I know I'll have to be able to devote an entire basically day to watch Save it, it for when it's, yeah oh, so we're, we're, we're serving it by one episode one episode a night and we were supposed to be talking about literature never mind I might not have said that if I hadn't thought that you that you'd said that about Queer Eye I might have just said that to myself but it worked out okay <laughs> anyway you're not you're not judging me no, I'm not judging you because I actually love the show. So, so, so I agree with you. It is positive and it is uplifting. Yeah. Um, and when readers watch an episode of Queer Eye, then they can read a chapter in your ebook. So, where can they buy it? You're asking me <laughs> everywhere. I mean, you know, Amazon, clearly, IndieBound. I have no idea if Barnes and Noble are still selling ebooks. I should find out okay. sometime in the next couple of they, weeks. They are through Nook because I've. Are. I've oh. Bought a few through there last week, so yes, Nook is, is right, still okay. around. Is that Kobe? Uh, no, Kobe is. Where's I think he sponsors one. that. What's the what's Barnes and Noble one called? Barnes and Noble's Nook. You know, okay. There you go. Of course it is. Thank you, Alexia. What would I do without you? <laughs> Let, try, ask me again. I'll be so polished this time. Ask me again. So, where can readers buy a copy of your book? <laughs> Any what anywhere an independent bookshop. Oh God! <laughs> at an independent bookstore via Kobe at Barnes and Noble by Nook, and of course through Amazon in the form of Kindle. And, and where can readers <laughs> find out more about you? Um. Well, on Twitter, my name's too long for Twitter, so I'm at Katrina McPee on Twitter. Um. On Facebook, Katrina McPherson. I've got an author page there, and my website is www.katrinamcpherson.com. Now, are you on Instagram? Because I did actually look for you, and there are a surprising number of Katrina McPhersons on Instagram, but I don't think they were you. I, I have an Instagram account, and I do follow some people on Instagram, um, but I'm an Instagram baby. I'm an Instagram infant, so. I, sh I mean, I do love a picture, so I should be on Instagram. You're on Instagram, right? Yes, yeah, I'm on Instagram. Instagram. Is that the right verb? Do you follow people on Instagram? Is that what you do? Yes. Yeah, okay. Yes. Um, I feel like my own grandma now. <laughs> no, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go thundering off to Instagram to find me because I, I've got a presence there, but I, I need to, uh, could do better, must try harder. What what name are you under on Instagram? Because there are actually a lot of Katrina McPhersons out there, but the pictures didn't match. Hmm. I say this from first-hand knowledge because I actually tried to find you. Right. I'd be Katrina McPherson something or other, wouldn't I? No, I, do you know, I don't know. That's how, what I did, I did that thing where you just secure your real estate. You make sure you've got, you own a version of your name everywhere years ago 
and then um, I haven't done anything else. But Twitter, Twitter and Facebook are my uh, spiritual home online. <laughs> I, I could be persuaded about Instagram because you always see links to stuff on Instagram that looks like good fun. I think you're the first person I've ever met that called Twitter their spiritual home. I know. What does that say about me? I think I'm really lucky on Twitter. Um, I don't seem to, I mean, people come ragged and bloody, you know, reeling away, sobbing from Twitter. And I never have that experience there. Um, I think I must curate my, I, I must curate who I follow on Twitter quite assiduously. Um, and, you, and you resist the urge to jump in and comment on things. Yeah, I do. I, I do sit it out a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you for not sitting out on my podcast and uh, joining me today to chat about Scott on the Rocks, your third last ditch mystery. Thank you very much. Yes, I am. I am very happy about it. I am. I'm very pleased with it. I'm a little bit nonplussed that it's about statues and public art and people's feelings about them. Uh, but um, I'll take it. But the, the timing is eerie, I, I will admit, but that, that could be a good thing. It's, uh, uh... Well, yes, except that there are some things that it would be unseemly to try and turn into a, ooh, and buy my book. And I think this is one of those things. <laughs> I really think this is one of those things. There are, some, there are some topics that you cannot discuss and then add a link. So... But your book offers a way to maybe for people to process process that whole issue in a in a humorous way. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. I'm going to try and rem I'm going to try and remember that, and I'm going to use that line. But I'll credit you. <laughs> and and thank you, listeners, for joining me for a bonus episode of the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Katrina McPherson, author of Scott on the Rocks, the third of the Lexi Carmichael Last Ditch Mysteries. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. Thank you for joining me for another chat with an author writing on the less gritty side of crime. A new episode is out every other Wednesday. Subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. And if you enjoy the show, please leave a five-star rating and review. Follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at podcast underscore cozy and on Facebook at the Cozy Corner Podcast. This has been your host, Alexia Gordon. Thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Thank mm-hmm. you.